Um, my first question is this. I wonder what you have planned for your retirement. When you think about your retirement, what have you got planned? Could it be a nice beach house in Langkawi or Bali or somewhere like that? Or perhaps it's you in a, a, a big home with your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren all around you when, you, when you've uh, finished working, you're okay to retire. Um, or maybe it's uh, going off and doing all sorts of adventures in that and visiting other countries. I always had the idea and the image of uh, retiring to this small country uh, village somewhere in England, uh, somewhere out of the way. Uh, maybe helping out with the local school and church, but a, a fairly kind of idyllic lifestyle, just relaxing, taking my time. See, my mum is completely the opposite. Uh, she's retired for many years now, and the first thing she did was she went to China and she opened an orphanage. Um, so she was working with street children and children from poor homes, and she was evangelizing to the locals. She is uh, quite an inspiration to me, and I hope that I have that, well, I don't have that much energy nowadays, so I, I don't know how she does it, to be honest with you. Um, but um, certainly a good model for what a, a Christian retired person uh, should look like. Um, and let's have, a, we're gonna have a look today at a little bit of what Paul says uh, this should look like. So we're going to read the passage, and this is in Philippians 2. I'm going to read uh, all the way through Philippians 2, um, even though we will be just looking from verse 12 to the end. So Philippians 2, we're using the ESV version, especially if you've got uh, your phones and you can swap between versions. <laughs> So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but of the, also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God, who highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offer, offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with, all of, uh, with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly, shortly, I, will, I myself will come, uh, come also. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but, also, uh, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive in, in the Lord with all, uh, all joy and honour such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Well, I wonder what you think of when I say the words working out. Some of you might be thinking, yes, I, I did my workout this week. There's Mike just flexing himself. Um, or having made that New Year's resolution, you're probably regretting that gym membership or just, uh, just wondering where those great promises were. Um, so this, this year I've signed up for the school triathlon. Not the whole thing, just the cycling part. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I grew up cycling to school every day and I, I used to cycle a lot in London. Um, so I'm thinking 12K is not that much. Um, it should be okay. But I did promise myself that this, this 10 day half term that I've just had would be a perfect time to kick off my, my training. Um, and then I had a puncture. Uh, when I came back and then I had a day of work and then uh, then it was raining on Thursday for most of the day and Friday I had a bit of work and it just hasn't really come about so um, certainly the idea of the working out of the gym really has never appealed to me um, I find it quite mindless and quite soulless places in these gyms. I, I'm sure God is there, but but uh, but these people who are looking at the TV screens and just running or walking or working out, I, fi I find that very strange. Um, 
For me, when people say working out, it means a slightly different thing. Um, so as a maths teacher, I have lots of students who I constantly have a go at for not showing they're working out. Um, you might have had the same experience. Uh, many young students just want to straight up put their hand up or just write down the answer straight away and they don't want to show any working. And they seem amazed when I show them a piece of work that my sixth form students do where they've, the sixth form students have spent a whole page or two working out for just one question and they think that they, to, to actually have that concept that a whole question can take a page of, of working is incredible to them. Um, you see, working out in both contexts uh, is this idea of some sustained effort. It's looking at working over a period of time, working out the long run. So too we see in this passage, we, we see about this, this term, working out your salvation in verse 12. So make sure those, those passages are open in front of you so that I'm not saying, teaching you things that are, are, are wrong, that you can check what I'm saying, and then maybe you can come and ask me questions afterwards if you, if you want. Um, you see, Paul has great affection and great regard for the Philippine, uh, Philippine, Philippians. Sorry. Um, we see in chapter 1 uh, that the memory of working with them in partnership for the gospel from the first day gives him great joy. And here again, we see him encouraging them to continue, and even more in his absence. But what does this working out of their salvation look like? Well, it's clear from the beginning that it, what it doesn't mean is that, well, or rather, it does mean that we should do it without grumbling or disputing. See, I've talked about how negative British people are. It seems a national sport or national pastime to grumble about things. If you just pick up a British newspaper, you will see complaints about everything, especially the government, especially the football team, maybe sometimes the cricket team, but we're so embarrassed that just it just doesn't happen anymore. Um, but grumbling is very much human nature, isn't it? And one thing I always thought was good about schools was actually you go into the common room and you just plop yourself down and it's like, oh, that student, you know. And there's that constant complaining and grumbling. And I've had those rare times, and I think my school is among one of those where actually we, we don't generally complain about the senior management, and my last school as well. But I've been in plenty of schools where it is a constant thing. Um, but it's, you see, it's very hard not to be. And the first thing I learned as a teacher is that I should be positive and encouraging. Because the more negative you are, the more the students are negative. And they very much react to that. Let's read verse 15. So verse 15, look down. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life you see it's very hard to be blameless and innocent 
to shine like lights to the world and to be set apart from the world if you're constantly grumbling and complaining. I have to confess, I like to take on, when I'm tired, I like to take on the persona of a, a, the grumpy old teacher. Um, some of you have experienced that. Um, and I know that it's not helpful to my witness as a Christian. Uh, one of my colleagues surprised me uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking to uh, one of the students in my boarding house, and I was walking past, and he said, oh, I, I, I can't be like Mr. Chung. I was like, what? <laughs> what's going on? He said, I can't be like Mr. Chung. I know that if I ask him, he can say a positive word about every student in this, this boarding house. And I was just like, really? It's like, uh, you know, I bet you if I asked him a positive word about you now, he could say something. And this was one of the naughtiest students in the house. Um, and thankfully I could, because this student had been really good at working with the, the charity stuff and really good at leading. And as I was describing this to the other students who were surrounding, you could see this boy just, just, you could see him, the whole of his body language, shoulders back, straightening up, smile on his face. And he continues, and he has continued to, to work with this through the encouragement. And I wish that he had the same positive attitude to his, his studies in, in classrooms. Um, but I, wish, I, I also wish that I could be that positive and encouraging a lot more of the time because I know that I'm not. You see, um, if we are equally passionate for the gospel, then as this passage says, uh, holding fast the word, the Bible should be our daily bread. It should be our salt our, and in our speech and inform our decisions. Paul is repeating the words of Jesus and in saying that we should be the light of the world. What a difference it is, those colleagues who are positive and cheerful. Are we those colleagues? Are we those people in our workplaces? Shouldn't we be those colleagues in our workplaces? That we are the salt and light. We are the different people the distinctive ones, the ones who don't grumble and complain. I made a deal with my Christian colleague in my last school, he was in the same department as I, I did, that when the grumbling and complaining started, we would try and look at each other, didn't work that often, it occasionally did, but we'd look at each other and we'd try and say something positive. So when they were complaining about the difficult person in the department, we would try and say something positive about her. It's difficult, isn't it? It's really, really difficult when everyone else is, is, is grumbling and complaining. Can we be different? Can we be distinctive? Because surely as Christians, if we're called to be light to, light to the world, that is what we should be. What else does it mean to work out our salvation? Let's make this one, one clear, really clear. Um, Paul is not saying that we should be working for our salvation. Saying work out, Paul is saying work out your salvation. What's the difference between working for your salvation and working out your salvation? See, as Christians, we're told that our salvation is already assured. We already have a place in heaven. 
So why should we work out our salvation? Well, for one thing, we will be following Jesus' footsteps. And this is what we see in the first half of this passage. So verse, look up to verse 6. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Empties, emptied himself by taking uh, the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. You see, Jesus was God. He had all the powers of God. He had a promised place in heaven. And yet, he still humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. You you see, even with our salvation assured, in fact, more so, because our salvation is assured, if we follow the example of Christ, If we follow the example of Jesus, we should not be resting on our laurels. We should not be thinking this is a time to relax. But rather it should spur us on to serve and witness for God. And if if Jesus' example is not enough, Paul, who himself was in jail at this time fervently praying for their salvation and growth also presents them with two more examples. So we've got the example of Jesus. We've got the example of Paul who is in jail and is fervently praying for them and sending them letters. And you can see the love in these letters and how hard he is working and praying for their salvation. He always also presents them with these two other examples. You see... um, this week, uh, sadly, we saw the passing of Billy Graham, who, uh, who, if you haven't heard of him, he is the mo- probably the most renowned, internationally renowned evangelist of the last 70 years. Um, he has been a great inspiration for many. Uh, but sometimes looking at figures like Billy Graham, it can be hard to relate to them. We think we can't be like that. We haven't got that platform. We haven't got that faith. What am I, just a a lowly teacher? Um, So Paul here also presents them with two other examples. Firstly, he chooses a very young chap. He chooses Timothy, who we later see becomes a leader of the church. Um, And... He hopes to send Timothy to them. Of Timothy, Paul says, I have no one like him. Isn't that an amazing statement? With all the amazing evangelists that are working with Paul, all the amazing people that he's met, he has no one like Timothy. And in verse 20, he says, because he is genuinely concerned for your welfare. How many people who, can you say that about uh, can, can you say that about? There is no one like you because you are genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church. See, there are nice people. There are lots of nice people out there. Lots of Christians who are nice. There are even lots of people who care more about their friends than themselves. I'm sure you can think of straight away, think of a few. More pe- uh, yeah, plenty of people think about their families more than themselves. 
So that kind of gives back, doesn't it? If you care more about your friends and your family than yourselves, and it makes you feel good. But caring more about the church, putting the needs of the church before yourselves, isn't that very different to everyone else around? Isn't that distinctive? And the second example is just as highly praised and in some ways more relevant to the Philippians. This is Epaphroditus. The, the, Philippi, uh, the Philippians in this letter will go down in history for their great heart for the service of God and for, for their great heart for the gospel. Paul praises them for that. And Epaphroditus among them. Because the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to serve Paul in the, uh, in, when he was in jail. And look down at verse 26. He was distressed because he knew that they had heard that he was ill. He didn't want them to worry. We might say, well, he should have been looking after himself. Surely it's more important that he look after himself than uh, you know, look after himself first. If he kills himself for the service of God, well, what good is he doing? And I've heard myself saying things like that. You've got to look after yourself first. You can't be killing yourself doing this. But, Paul, but to Paul, this is a sign of his greatness. And it will be great, uh, with great rejoicing when he returns home and is received by his church. We see that right at the end, don't we? So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That's not because they were lacking, it's because that's on top of what they'd already done. Because they couldn't be there in jail. So he's not criticising them here, that he's raising up Epaphroditus for completing that work. So is this how we see working out our salvation, serving God in response to the salvation that we have, serving him in response to what he has done, uh, that we may devote ourselves to God's work. And this brings me back to my original question. How do we see ourselves in, in our retirement? And it's a difficult question, isn't it? Because we do want to relax. Eventually we see ourselves there the rest. Thankfully we have eternity for that. One of my favourite characters in the Bible is Caleb. He was one of the two uh, spies who went into uh, Canaan. You may re remember the story. Joshua and Caleb went into Canaan uh, with 12 spies. They came back. Ten of them said, no, we can't. These Canaanites are, are massive and they're scary. But Joshua and Caleb said, yes, they are, but we can conquer them. Now, the reason why I love Caleb so much is that he was one of the two who went into Canaan and conquered uh, just one of the only two from Egypt who went into Canaan. And they conquered uh, Canaan. And when they conquered all the, uh, the lands around the Jordan, Caleb, at the age of 85, so he's 85 years old, and he says to Joshua, he says, I'm going to leave you now. 
Because God's promised me the hills, the, the, the hill, hilly lands. And I'm going to take my tribe of people, and God has promised me those, those lands, and we're going to go and conquer those lands. This is at the age of 85, he's saying, God has promised me, and I'm going to go and fight more. That's his retirement. Isn't that fantastic? He is still serving so faithfully, so energetically, at the age of 85. This is his retirement. But it's all pretty intimidating, isn't it? That is really intimidating. How can we live up to those standards? Surely by looking at these examples. But one last encouragement that I'm going to give you um, from this passage. One last thing here that we can be encouraged. Look down at verse 13. This should be nothing new to, to those who've been Christians for a while. It says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is not saying that you should stop working. I've heard a lot of this uh, phrase bandied around, let go and let God. Just, just let go and let God. That doesn't mean just give up and just let, let God take you where... Yes, he will. <laughs> he will take you where he wants to take you. And yes, we have to be obedient to his will. But he's asking us to work, our, work out our salvation. And what is his good pleasure? Well, we should know what his good pleasure is. That we are lights shining in this world. His good pleasure is seeing the lost saved. His pleasure is seeing us doing his work. Light shining in this world to witness for him. So the questions I want to leave you with is, how are you being different? How are you being distinctive this week? It can help to be actually thinking of practical examples. I do have on my phone something I don't often use, but I, I will write down these are distinctive ways I can be distinctive. And I, I have to confess, I rarely write in it, but it's there so that if I think, oh, I could use this to, to witness for God in school, I, I'm going to write it down. Are we grumblers and complainers like everyone else? I was asked uh, a couple of weeks ago by a student whether I hated students who, were, uh, you know, who spent their time being annoying. And I said, no, I don't hate them. If anything, I pity them. Those who are the students who are complainers, the grumblers, those who are annoying, those those who specifically go out to feel very sorry for themselves. There are so many students like that. It's very, very boring. It's very, very normal. I pity them. If we are grumblers and complainers, if we are those people, it's very boring. It's just like everyone else, isn't it? Can we be distinctive? How can we be distinctive? And how are we being changed by this assurance of salvation? If you are a Christian here today, if you confess with your mouth 
if you uh, believe in your heart that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are assured a place in heaven. You are guaranteed a place in heaven. And that should change you. How are we working out our salvation? And what will it look like in five years or ten years or in your retirement? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us as we are working. Uh, Lord, thank you for that promise that your spirit indwells us. Your spirit is working there as we work. Lord, we pray that we can stop grumbling and complaining. That we can take joy in your salvation, joy in your creation, joy in everything that you've given us. And that we can be different, we can be distinctive, that we can be light to the world for you. And when people ask, we can have an answer for their questions. And that answer is you. Lord, help us to be ready with an answer, to be witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me just encourage you to be reflecting.